Hey, this is Eric, and you're listening to the Story Church Podcast. Our podcast features audio from Sunday mornings at Story Church in Peru, Indiana, a community on the mission of connecting people's story to God's story. If you'd like to connect with us further, check out storyperu.com. Our hope is that today's episode helps you take your next step on your faith journey. Today, uh, we're starting this three-part series or a conversation that we're calling The Weight of Your Words because creatively we're talking about the weight of your words and the weight of my words. And uh, the reality is all of our words carry weight to them, that, that words are incredibly powerful. And I would imagine, you've probably heard it said at some point, or maybe you've even said it yourself, maybe you've been told that actions speak louder than words. Uh, I, I think that's a really common phrase we throw out. And I think there's certain circumstances where that's really, really true, uh, especially if you're like meeting somebody for the first time or there's somebody you're just kind of getting to know them. Like in those scenarios, actions speak louder than words because when you're just getting to know somebody, they will tell you whatever they need to to get you to like them, right? Like that's how dating works. If you remember dating, like everybody puts their best face forward for however long you're dating. And then it's like you get married and you're like, oh, that's what you're really like, right? Not, not you. Okay. So anyway, uh, <laughs> but like uh, the truth is when it comes to our most significant relationships, right? Our, our, our most connected relationships, our family, our inner circle, our best friends, uh, while the phrase may be true that actions speak louder than words, I think if we're honest, it's less cut and dry because words can be extraordinarily powerful as well. Words and actions in our closest relationships might actually be neck and neck uh, because of the power that words have. And I think you could say this in this way, that the more intimate a relationship is, the weightier the words become, right? The closer somebody is to you, uh, to go with the language of our series, like the heavier their words tend to be, right? The louder they tend to ring in our ears, the greater those words capacity have to leave a mark in us for good or for bad, to build us up or to destroy us, to encourage us or to discourage us, to inspire us or to potentially wound us in really lasting ways. And my point is that words in those closest relationships to us are extraordinarily powerful. And just to like underscore that a little more, uh, I think we can really recognize the power of words in our closest relationships, even through unsaid words. Because I don't know if you're like me or this has been your experience, but I have never had somebody come to me uh, with lasting hurt or lasting impact from unspoken words from a neighbor or from a coworker. But I have heard countless people come to me, whether they're students or college students, or adults, or even like senior adults, like all kinds of people have told me their story, and a piece of that story was unspoken words from somebody very, very close to them, right? Like, dad never really told me that he loved me, or at least not in a way that I heard. Uh, They'll say, like, I I never knew if my parents were proud of me. I I never felt like I was enough for them. And, And even like me saying that, maybe for you, that's like an emotional thing for me to talk about. You can feel how significant it is. It's because uh, whether that's your experience or not, it underscores the power of words in our closest relationship that even unspoken words have the power to alter the trajectory of someone's life. I mean, nothing underscores the significance of the words that we choose than the fact that unspoken words can have that much impact on us. And my point is is simply that words carry weight. Words carry weight. And and again, if you're not sure of that or you're kind of questioning it, don't raise your hands, okay, but maybe imagine, ha- have you ever been crushed by the weight of somebody else's words? If not, I'm going to take you back to high school, okay, because do you remember, m- maybe if you're like me, you did this one time, there was somebody uh, that you liked, and you wanted to like like them, right? You wanted to be a little more uh, than friends, and so you hung out with them for a while, and then eventually you kind of made the ask, you t- asked them how to go on a date or whatever that looked like, 
slid into their DMs, you know, whatever you do. So like maybe that happened and then you got that reply, let's just be friends. <sighs> right? No, just me? Okay. I'm the only one who ever experienced this. Like, it's like, no, no, I don't want to be your friend, right? Like, I view you more as like a brother. You're like, no, I want to kiss you. Like, I, I'm not your brother. Like, that's not how this is supposed to work. And if you've ever been in this scenario, whether you were the one like letting the person down or the one being let down, uh, it's this weird phenomenon because the person who's like letting the person down, to them it's easy, right? They're like, oh, no, 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 right? We're just friends. It, it's easy. Okay, go back to their day, right? But for the person receiving those words, it crushes you. You feel the weight of those words because you had so much hope and so much anticipation and, and so much desire behind those words. So you're like, I just got to check out for the rest of the day. I've got to like stew on this for a while because you're crushed by the weight of words. And again, lives have been shapen by words that were spoken. And in fact, I would say that our lives are often shaped by words that are spoken to us, but also words that are spoken over us, words that are spoken at us, words that are spoken about us. Those words have shaped our childhoods. They've shaped our marriages or maybe misshaped our marriages. They may have uh, undermined a marriage or built or rebuilt a marriage as you tried to like hunker down and, and treat each other a little better. Maybe they impact your confidence. I mean, the words spoken to us actually have the power to influence the way we see ourselves in the mirror, the way that we view ourselves. But here's the thing, and here's where we're going to take kind of a hard right turn. Okay, I noticed like none of you took out your phones or your notepads and are writing all this down because we, we all kind of know this, right? None of us would really argue that other people's words have an impact on us. We're all quick to recognize the power that other people's words have had towards us, but we're often slow to recognize or we're slow to admit the fact that our words have equal weight in the lives of other people. Right? We, we've been impacted by other people's words, but when it comes to you or when it comes to me, we're like, no, 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 this is just how I am. Right? This is just the way that I talk and I'm just telling it like it is. These are just words. Right? My words are just words. They're all weighted equally. I mean, they don't even weigh that much, honestly. Nothing could be further from the truth. Okay, nothing could be further from the truth, but consequently what happens when we have that perspective is we end up using our words irresponsibly, not on purpose, but because we just don't understand or realize or maybe embrace the fact that our words carry weight, that my words carry weight and your words carry weight more than you think in specific relationships. And, and so the fact that words have the power to build us up or also destroy us, that they can empower us and they can undermine us, uh, it should impact all of us. It, it should be something that all of us take into consideration. Uh, but there's a group of us here today who have to take it into consideration. And if you're here today and you don't know where you're at with the whole Jesus thing, first, we're glad you're here because I think it's a brave thing to walk into a movie theater church and like give it a shot. Uh, but if you're here today, you can take everything that I say and it can just be good advice, okay? And I think it will be. Like it'll still work even if you don't know where you're at with the whole Jesus thing. You can still apply it. It's not necessarily an inherently religious idea or Christian insight. But if you're here and you are a Jesus follower, this isn't optional for us. Okay, this isn't just good advice. This isn't just like second tier information. This is kind of like following Jesus 101 as far as it relates uh, to our words. So in the series, what we're going to do together is we're going to look at three dynamics that are in play in our conversations in the closest relationships that we have. Three dynamics that whether we recognize it or not, whether we're aware of it or not, every time you have a conversation with someone who's important to you, these three dynamics are at play, uh, whether it's with family or friends or maybe even to some extent with coworkers or the people who are closest to you. These are three dynamics that determine what people hear regardless of what we say. 
And that's an important distinction, right? You've probably had fights about this before. We were like, I didn't say that. It was like, yeah, but I heard it this way, right? It's not just the words that we use. It's how they're received. And these are dynamics that determine what people hear, regardless of what we say. And I would be willing to bet that all of us at some point have been on the receiving end of these, which means you would think it would be easy for us to keep it front and center in our own choosing of the words that we use. But we often don't. So today we're going to take a look at the first one. Uh, the first dynamic that's at play in our conversations and our closest relationships. But before we do it, I want to spend some time giving you a little bit of incentive because, again, if you're here and you're a Christian, you're a Jesus follower, uh, this isn't optional. It's a part of what it means to follow Jesus. It's just kind of baked into the equation. And to do so, uh, we're going to take a look at a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a group of first century Jesus followers in the region of Ephesus. And Paul wrote this letter uh, to actually remind them of something that we talk about often here. He reminded his audience about Jesus and specifically about Jesus's uh, new commandment that he gave his followers. Uh, right before uh, the end of Jesus's life on earth, he gathered his closest followers together and he issued them this new command, these new marching orders that were supposed to direct and guide the behavior and the thought patterns and the speech of all Christians and all Jesus followers. And the whole idea that Jesus gave to his followers was that we're supposed to love one another the way that God through Christ loved us. That's Jesus' one command. He says, I can sum up all that stuff that's in the Bible in this one thing. Love one another the way that God through Christ loves you. Or sometimes we say it around here uh, by asking it as a question. We say, what does love require of me? You said before that if you don't know what to say or do, you can just ask, what does love require of you or what does love require of me? And we're not just talking about like any kind of love. It's not just like the squishy concept that's out there that we're trying to guess what does it mean to really love. Uh, but actually, Jesus is referring to a very narrowly defined and illustrated and modeled for us love that we can see in his life. Uh, here's how the Apostle Paul uh, says this idea in Ephesians 5. He says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love. And that phrase, the way of love, can't you just hear like the smooth jazz kind of creeping in in the background or something, or like the violins are playing? It, it sounds like kind of like this hippy-dippy phrase, like the birds are out there chirping. It's like, just love, man. Like it, it feels really soft and gentle and Christian and romantic and passive. Uh, but that's not how Jesus actually modeled love for us. Uh, so the language kind of tricks us a little bit if we read it in that way today. That's not how Jesus modeled love, because if you follow Jesus Throughout the Gospels, the accounts of his life, you'll find that the way of love is bold. That the way of love, as Jesus lived it out, is intentional. Sometimes it's offensive. It is always sacrificial. It always has the other person in mind, the person who's on the other side of you. And the way of love that Paul is talking about was radically attention-getting in the first century, Right, just a few years removed from the events of Jesus' life. This way of love as it was lived out by first century Christians, it caught the attention of a Roman empire where citizens saw this weird offshoot Jewish cult at the time known as the way, eventually known as Christians, and they said, what is up with these Christians? Right? Why do they live so differently? Why are they doing the things that they're doing? And the way of love was dynamic. It actually changed things. It impacts people. And as it was illustrated by Jesus and lived out by Jesus and eventually imitated by Jesus' first century followers, the way of love actually began to change the world. And I think sometimes in our day we forget this, but there's two things we have to be really clear on. Uh, on the one side, we actually have a choice. Like we get to choose whether or not we follow Jesus. And, and let me explain what I mean. I mean every day we get to choose whether we actually do the following part 
of following Jesus. Sometimes we think following Jesus is about like a one-time decision. You pray the magic prayer and you're like good and off you go. And there's something to some of that, right? But what Jesus actually calls us to, to actually follow Jesus is a daily decision to follow him in his example, to let him lead our life. And we get that choice every single day. See, a growing faith, it's not just this like intellectual agreement with a set of ideas, but it has action behind it. And we choose every single day, do we follow or do we not follow? But what we do not get to choose is we don't get to choose what that looks like, what it reacts like, or what it sounds like, because it was prescribed to us, right? This is a very specific and very narrow definition of love. This version of love is not ours to define, but rather it was already defined for us through the life that Jesus lived and the way that he modeled his love for other people. So in light of that, Paul goes on. He says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. So he says, walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us. In other words, we don't just make it up right? We're not left to just guess and just try and figure it out. It's not this like squishy concept. Uh, rather, he's saying live out that new covenant command. Love one another the way that God through Christ loved you. And what's so extraordinarily powerful is that when Jesus issued this new command, he was a day removed from his own crucifixion. Jesus said, love one another the way that I love you. And then he went to the cross and gave up his breath and ultimately gave up his life so he could take away your sins and take away my sins. I mean, he had this extraordinary kind of love, this dynamic, powerful love that ultimately launched a movement that you found yourself in the middle of right here in Peru, Indiana today. It's an incredible thing. He says this is what love looks like. He gave himself up for us. So if you want to know what the way of love looks like and acts like and sounds like, you can just follow Jesus. You can follow the accounts of Jesus' life through the Gospels, and it's there over and over and over again. So with that as kind of the context and the backstory, what the Apostle Paul does basically throughout the rest of this letter is he applies that idea that we should walk in the way of love to all kinds of different areas. And for our purposes today, he takes this overall idea and he applies it specifically to the words that we choose and the words that we choose to use. He says this is what the way of love sounds like. This is what the way of Jesus sounds like. And here's what he says. He says, do not let any unwholesome word come out of your mouths. And for some of you, if you grew up in church or you had a really intense mom, you can like taste the soap in your mouth right now. Okay. Cause like th that verse was weaponized. If you ever said a bad word, you're like, do not let any unwholesome word. Like you can like feel it and still remember it. Right. There's something to that. Okay. But that's not actually like the full context and full definition of what this verse or what Paul is actually getting at here. Like it's part of it. Okay. But it's not the whole picture because in the first century, that word unwholesome, uh, it basically meant like stinky and distasteful. Uh, one of the most common associations with this word was used towards rotting fish. Okay. So if the soap's bad, like imagine the rotting fish. Uh, basically Paul's saying, don't let any stinky, distasteful, offensive, unwholesome words come out of your mouth. Or in other words, he's saying your mouth is like a gate and you're the gatekeeper, right? Your, your mouth is like a gate. And when those stinky and hateful and offensive words like want to storm up and they want to rush to the gate, don't let them through because you're the gatekeeper. It's your job to keep that stuff in. And I think some of us need to like make this verse your background on your phone so that when you're like going to Facebook, you're like, oop, 
Never mind, right? <laughs> oh, not gonna post it. Oh, not gonna go for that comment because man, if there's a breeding ground for this stuff, right? It's on social media and it's getting in us and it's so important that we pay attention to that. And, and honestly, we could stop right there, right? It's a pretty clear instruction from Paul. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. I could pray, we could go home. I just be like, work on that. And it would seem simple enough, right? And in fact, if we did that, if we just stopped right here, there would be some people on the other side of you who would be so glad that you started working on it. <laughs> there are some people who are like, man, I'm so glad because we all struggle with this. We all struggle with this in some way. Your mouth is a gate, my mouth is a gate, and none of us are very good gatekeepers, at least not in certain moments of life and often not in our closest relationships. I know, for that matter, how you tend to excuse yourself in these scenarios in the way that I tend to excuse myself because we all tend to make the same excuse when that unwholesome talk is coming out of our mouths. Uh, if we get caught in it, like, uh-oh, there it happens. We'll say, well, I was just being honest, right? I, I was just being honest. I was just telling it like it is. And this is a little bit of a sidebar, but one thing about honesty, honesty is saying what is true, right? Honesty is making sure that everything that you say is true. But what honesty is not is honesty is not saying everything that's true. You see the difference there? Honesty is making sure everything that you say is true, but honesty does not mean saying everything that is true. It's a huge difference. It seems subtle, but it's huge because if you just say everything that is true all the time, you will have no friends, okay? You might have no job, potentially no life because like honesty is not just our excuse to go around and just say everything that is true. And so what that means for you and what that means for me is when we, we catch ourselves saying offensive things, when we're using distasteful words, when we're putting somebody down, uh, you can't use the excuse, well, I was just being honest. Because if you would be honest, you'd be like, I was just being a jerk, right? Like we all fall into that from time to time. And my point is that it's, it's different. It's something different. But again, we could stop right there and somebody would be glad that we did, right? Pray and go home, get an early lunch, it's all awesome. But the apostle Paul doesn't stop there. In fact, we're not going to stop there because all that Paul did so far is cover the negative. He said, don't do this, but he goes on and he turns the page and he says, let me give you the way forward. Let me give you the way you should use your words. He says, let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth, but only let what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. He says, but only. Right? So he's being selective He's narrowing it down. It's, uh, it's concert season right now, right? So this is like only clear plastic bags and no backpacks kind of restrictions. Like just these words. This is all that you're supposed to bring. Uh, but if you're honest and if you're like me, it also sounds kind of like politically correct and unproductive and just kind of passive in some ways. Like really, Paul? Only what's helpful and builds others up. Like just be positive. Like can you really raise children that way? Right? Or like, can you really do your performance review at work in that way? Only what's positive, like only what builds people up. Like, it's like being like, hey, w would you mind coming to work occasionally? Maybe, please? Like, like it seems like it, it doesn't work that way, but the answer is yes. This way of communicating not only can apply everywhere as Jesus followers, but it should apply everywhere as Jesus followers because Paul's point was not to be nice. Okay, like there's this epidemic of what I've heard branded before is just like Christian niceness where we like grin and bear it and we like kind of smile on the outside but there's a lot of passivity going on on the inside. Uh, that's not what Paul's suggesting here. His point is simply this, is to use your words to build others up. That your words should build others up. That your words are like building material. I mean, if you want it to be lumber or 
concrete or whatever. Your words are like building material. And when you walk away from that construction site, the person who's there on the other side of you should feel built up. They should feel better for the words that you chose to use. But for that to be true in our lives, for that to be true of us, we have to learn how to be students. We have to learn how to listen to others and and to actually understand how to tailor our words to that last thing that the Apostle Paul said, which is to use our words according to their needs to use our words according to their needs. And this is where it often gets difficult for me. And I would be willing to bet where it gets difficult for you too. Uh, So if we can just have like an honest moment of confession together, okay, I'll go first. But if you agree, like uh, join me in this, okay. Uh, Here's what's often the problem for me. It's that whoever's on the other side of me, I'm confident that what they need to hear is what I need to say, right? Like, I'm so confident that what they need to hear is what I need to say. And it's like, I have so much energy pent up about what I want to say and what I think is going to meet their need in that moment. It's got to be what they need to hear. And so for me, this is almost always where I have to end up going back and apologizing, especially as a parent, right? Parents, you probably have had this experience or if you can remember back then, uh, like how many times as a parent, have you gone upstairs, maybe gone to your child's room or whatever, you've had a moment of tension and you let them know what you thought they needed to hear, Right. And then 20 minutes later, you're up there apologizing and you're like, man, why, why am I apologizing? Like, wh- where did I go wrong? It's because you said what you needed to say, but you didn't say it in a way that they needed to hear it. Right? So often we focus on what we need to say and we think what I've got to say is clearly what they need to hear. But Paul's saying, come on, grow up, right? be, be mature, guard that mouth, put a gatekeeper there. You, you've got to make sure that whatever comes out builds them up according to what they need. And the reason that I am often so confident that what they need to hear is what I have to say is because generally I feel so much better after I've said it, right? Like we've all had that moment where it's like the pressure valve kicks off and you're like, ah, and like there goes the unwholesome stuff. And you're like, whew, I'm better now, right? And then there's like wreckage all around you from what you just said. The truth is most of us are more dialed into what we need to say than we are to what others need to hear. Right? Most of us are more dialed in to the things that, that we need to say than what others need to hear. And sometimes we hesitate for seemingly good reasons. But if you dig under the surface, it's still really about us. Like sometimes we hesitate to say what they need to hear because it's uncomfortable for us. And it's about us again, right? Or, or we hesitate to say because uh, we don't want to alienate them. Because like, if this relationship falls apart, I'm going to miss them, which is about us right? Or, or, or maybe you've been like, man, I fear, I fear rejection. I, I don't want to say the wrong thing or, or whatever. I don't want to get this wrong. And then they reject me, which is about us. And, and so before long, what we end up doing is we start tailoring our words to what suits us and our need in the moment. And we start selecting our words with me in mind. And if we're not careful, and the opposite of what Paul says, often I say what's most helpful to me according to my needs which is fine if I only care about me, right? It's a fine way to live if you don't care about anybody else around you. But Jesus did not make it all about him. In fact, Jesus constantly made it about others, and he leads those of us who follow him to do the same thing with our words. And so Paul wraps this whole thing up, and he concludes it by giving us a picture of the finish line. He's like, if you do this, here's going to be the purpose or the result. He says, here's how you know that you did it right. He says, if you use your words to build up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. That our words are meant to be beneficial. 
Whether they're received as beneficial or not is another conversation, but as they come out of our mouth, they should be beneficial to the people on the other side of us. And, and so really practically what this means to us as it relates to the words that we choose is simply this. It's that our intent is as important as our content. That our intentions behind our word are just as important as the content of our words. Because the truth is, it's really difficult to receive difficult words if we don't trust the other person's intention. You've probably experienced this at work at some point, or maybe at school at some point, when somebody came up to you and they told you how you should do something differently, and they may have been right, okay, the content might be solid, but you didn't know them very well, or you didn't trust them very much, and it kind of makes you mad, doesn't it? You're like, what do they know? Like, who is that guy? See two cubicles? I don't even know. Does he work here? Like, you get all puffed up, you get arrogant. It's because intent is just as important as content. I experienced this the past couple of weeks uh, because you may or may not know this, but I wear another hat in the community and I'm a part of uh, Rediscover Downtown Peru, which is our main street association here that's trying to help downtown businesses grow and thrive and make Peru an awesome place to live. And as a part of that, we do an event called Second Saturdays. Uh, they've been kind of on hiatus for a while, but we've been working to re-energize them. And so what that meant for me is over the past couple of weeks, uh, I've been visiting some downtown businesses and trying to encourage them to participate in it. Uh, we just had July's event yesterday because it was the second Saturday. So uh, I was talking to these businesses and there were a few times that I walked in and I met some of these business owners and I was met with like a hornet's nest that I kicked over <laughs> because there were people who were reasonably uh, frustrated with the way that this event had been in the past and kind of the way that things got. And uh, there was one business owner in particular, I went in and she just like laid into me. Right, like I had my flyer, <laughs> my content was solid. Okay, <laughs> I walked in and I'm like, hey, would you like to participate? Like, no, I would not. And I'm like, okay, cool. A and what happened is she didn't know me. She didn't trust me very much because of past experience with the way that things had been. And in that moment, intent was just as important as content. And to wrap up that story in a bow, thankfully, like at the end of it, I was able to hear uh, this business owner's perspective and able to make them feel heard and uh, able to explain, like, I think they thought there was some kind of Ponzi scheme where I was like this elitist outsider making tons of money off of downtown Peru businesses, which it's a volunteer thing. So I was like, nope, don't get paid. This is my weird hobby. I just <laughs> like trying to help you guys. And, and so as we talked about it, eventually like the tension got diffused and, and the opportunity opened up for us to partner together again, because she learned my intentions. She learned my intentions were actually to help these businesses that, again, I was just doing this for free. And so at the end of the day, intent is as important as content. So let me review. Like, here's what Paul says. He says, do not let any unwholesome word come out of your mouths, but only words that are good for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. That's what it looks like to follow Jesus. That's what following Jesus sounds like in the way that we choose our words. And finally, it brings me to the first of our three dynamics uh, that we're gonna talk about in these conversations that we have with the people closest to us. This dynamic that's at play in all of our conversations, but especially with those closest to us, is this, it's that our words are not equally weighted. All words have weight, but not all words are equally weighted. And I noticed, once again, none of you took out your phone, none of you are writing down notes, okay? Because you know this, right? You've experienced this, you've lived this. A and to make it even more clear, here's the point, it's that negative words weigh way more than positive ones, right? Negative words weigh way more than positive words, and that's why they stick with us. 
right? Like if I asked you, hey, what's the most recent negative thing the person's closest to you said to you? It's probably right there, right? It's probably simmering a little bit under the surface already. If I'm like, hey, what's the last positive thing that the person closest to you said to you? You're like, uh, maybe good morning this morning. I don't, like, <laughs> right? like, I don't know, but it's because those negative words are so weighty. They stick with us. Depending on which study you read, uh, some studies have been done about this, and they say that it takes five to nine positive comments to outweigh one negative comment. And, and those studies, this is just me talking, okay, we're no longer in like academic world, but those studies were mostly from like casual or marketplace conditions. I would be willing to bet if you did a similar study in our closest relationships, right? Parent-child relationships, or, or your conversations with your spouse or your romantic relationship or with your relatives, I would be willing to bet it's more like 30 to one, right? It takes like 30 positive investments to offset one critical negative comment. And again, this is why growing up, you probably don't remember that much of what your parents told you, right? I, I'm sure your mom and your dad were good moms and dads and they sat you down and they said, son, remember this, right? Or daughter, remember this. And hopefully you have some nuggets of wisdom that you carry with you. But a lot of that good positive stuff they poured into your life, it went in one ear and out the other, right? But I would be willing to bet you can remember some of the criticism you received from the people closest to you. That you can remember those moments, especially if it was in the midst of conflict, where somebody so close to you, like mom or dad, said something that felt unloving in that moment. Those negative words have staying power. I was thinking about this, uh, not so much in the terms of my family, because they attend here and I'll get in trouble, but uh, in terms of some other mentors that I had uh, when I was first starting to teach and uh, basically, I was just kind of getting used to what it meant to be up here on a stage with a microphone talking about like, what God says to his people and trying to get better at it, which I'm always still trying to do. Uh, so what I would do is I would have these feedback meetings on Mondays or Tuesdays after I got the opportunity to teach on Sunday. And I think at this point, I had maybe taught like three or four times. And uh, I remember I sat down on Monday after the service with a guy who I, I looked up to. I didn't know super well at the time. And uh, we sat down and I distinctly remember he looked very stern. And he just said to me, hey, what happened on Sunday? That can't happen again. Yeah, I'm like, so am I fired? <laughs> what, what does that mean? And he went on to tell me, I mean, probably genuine constructive criticism in some ways, but he told me in a way that felt so negative. Those words stuck with me for so long, right? It didn't matter how many like, hey, that was good this Sunday I got that I was like, man, did that happen again? <laughs> that he said it can't. Like, am I done here? My point is that those negative words weigh more than the positive words. And my point for all of us today in considering the weight of your words is that we are responsible for the stewardship we have with our words. We're responsible for the damage that we do with our words. And when it comes to impacting people, especially the people closest to us, in a way uh, that Jesus wants us to, it, it looks like impacting them in a way that when they're like, hey, I walked away from the construction site, I feel better and I feel built up, and I feel encouraged, and I feel like, man, when they were talking to me, they were so dialed into my needs and so attentive to me. Like, I don't know if I liked what they had to say, but I know that I needed what they had to say because they understood my needs. That's what we're called to do. That's what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to use the weight of our words. And here's the thing. We're going to slip up. Okay, we are not going to get this right 100% of the time. Uh, the only way to not slip up is to die early, and I don't recommend that. So instead, what we have to do intentionally is we have to load up and load up and load up on the positive 
and on the constructive, right? We have to load up on that because if you want to have influence, you got to control the ratio between the weight of those negative words and the weight of those positive words. And that means you've got to pour on the positive way more than you dump the negative. Uh, I've heard it described before as if we all have like a relational bank account. And I don't know, like if you know how to manage a bank account, hopefully if you have one, you do. But if not, I'll give you like the 101 level. Uh, bank accounts, there's like deposits, right? That's the money you put in, that's the good stuff you put in. In our context, relationally, those are the positive words, right? That build somebody up, that encourage them. You make deposits then sometimes you make withdrawals, right? That's when you swipe the card and you get the stuff, hopefully. Uh, so in banking sense, that's that. But in relationship sense, those withdrawals are those negative comments. It, it's those moments where you do have to critique, where you do have to confront. But the point is, if your negative balance is way bigger than your positive balance, you're going to overdraw the account, right? You're going to have problems. You're going to have conflict relationally. And so what you and what I've got to do to do this well is we've got to make those deposits regularly, those positive, constructive, build somebody up ways of using our words so that when we have to use negative words, the account balance is there, right? <laughs> that you're not going to overdraw it. The context is there where intent can be understood. And just real quickly, as we wrap up, I want to talk to dads for just a second. I think this probably could apply to moms as well, but I think dads in particular sometimes struggle with this, uh, especially with our kids, uh, because some of this language and talk about like being loving and positive and building up, it can feel kind of soft and squishy and maybe at times passive. Uh, sometimes guys don't necessarily have the language to go into like that feeling space supernaturally. And, and so what can end up happening I is we keep the people who are most important to us kind of at an arm's distance. Right? We, we don't really go there. And, and maybe for you, uh, your best weapon or your best tactic to try and uh, connect with your kids is to use sarcasm. And listen, I love sarcasm. Okay, that's like my humor of choice. But when it comes to parenting, when it comes to the relationships that are closest to you, man, sarcasm won't make your kids tougher. It is only going to make it tougher for you to connect with them when they become adults. Okay, sarcasm and, and keeping them at an arm's distance, it is not going to make your kids stronger. And it won't make your relationship with them stronger. So guys, load up on the positives and the constructives, even if it's uncomfortable, and even if it's awkward because it's going to make it tough to connect with others down the road if you don't get the ratio right. If you ignore this principle, whether it's as a parent or a spouse or a coworker or a friend, then anytime there's correction, it's going to be experienced by the person on the other side of you as coercion and as manipulation or what's in it for you. Negatives are going to become noise. And that's why love requires that we remember that words aren't equally weighted, that the negatives weigh more. Sometimes negatives are necessary, but man, they wound if they aren't the exception to the rule. And, you know, we've been told probably before that having too much of a good thing is possible. I don't really know where that applies, okay? <laughs> but uh, certainly not the case as it relates to encouraging words. I have never sat across the table from somebody who, who told me that they could trace the root of their problem back to getting too much encouragement. I've never sat next to somebody who's like, Dad just believed in me too much, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> Mom just wouldn't quit saying she loved me. <laughs> like, I, I've never found somebody who's like, that's where it all went wrong. But I have sat with people. I have sat with people who are like, man, I didn't know. Right? I didn't know if they were proud of me. I didn't know if they really loved me. And man, those negative words can linger and they can last. So here's the point. Let's like go overboard on constructive and encouraging things to pave the way for when we have to say the hard things. Okay, let's, let's like fill up the account with the positives and be in a position where you can actually love someone with your words. So 
between now and next time, when we're going to pick it up and talk about the other two uh, dynamics that are at play in our conversations with the people closest to us, I'm going to give you a little bit of homework, okay? Just a couple of questions to consider. And the first is pretty simple, but probably pretty demanding. And it's simply, where do you have work to do? Because all of us have work to do, by the way. All of us can grow in this area. All of us struggle with this. And man, it is like rampant in our world. I know I've kind of joked about social media, but just the nastiness and the way that we talk to one another, it has a real impact on us. So for you, where do you have some work to do? And maybe to make it more clear or more personal for you, let me phrase it this way. Who is hoping that you'll get to work soon? Right? Is it your son or your daughter or your spouse or your coworkers? Like who is the person who's hoping that you figure out how to be a gatekeeper, that if you figure out how to fill up that account before you ever withdraw. Who's the person that's hoping you'll get to work on this soon? Let me pray for you. God, this is another one of those things about following you that seems so simple and is so easy to agree with and so difficult to actually apply in our lives. But God, I pray that we would look to your example, that as you commanded us and called us to, for those of us who follow you, that we would be people who love others in the way that you loved us, that you, you love us just as we are, you believe in us, you pour blessing on us. And sometimes you correct us, but it's always in the context of that loving relationship. God, help us to do the same with our words. Let it be true for us here at Story that no unwholesome words come out of our mouths, that we don't tear other people down, that we don't add to their pain or their wounding, but rather help us be people who build up who leave people better than we found them through the words that we use. God, help us to put their needs before our needs. Help us to understand their needs before we speak what we think we need to say. And God, through all of it, give us the courage to love well, even when it may cost us something. Give us the, the wisdom to have patience when we want to speak. And God, help us to use words that, again, build up rather than destroy. We pray all of that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you live in or near the Peru, Indiana area, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend gatherings. To find directions, service times, and information about our environments for kids, visit us at storyperu.com.